All right, if your last name is Wojnicki, Matzel, or Corwin, you can't answer this question. But everybody else, it, free game, free, free game. So here it goes, okay? Uh, Wayne Gretzky is the NHL's all-time leading goal scorer. Okay, and if you don't know that by now, I failed in many ways. But here's the question. He's the NHL's all-time leading goal scorer. Who can tell me how many goals he has scored in his career? Who wants to take a guess? Lots. That's good. Did you say 800? Close. 900? 951? Do I hear 953? Going once, going twice. He, he scored 894 goals. Okay? Uh, and that's just goals. When it, when it comes to total points, Gretzky has 894 goals, but then you add his assists, which factor into total points, he has, over, he has 2,857 total points. And get all of this. Gretzky has more assists than the second all-time leading scorer, points and goals, has total points. Okay? So he scored a lot, that's what I'm saying. Well, a little over 10 years ago, Gretzky took his son to the Hockey Hall of Fame. His son was about 10 or 11 years old at this time. He had retired since then. And, and before he went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, he, he put on a hat... And he kind of kept his, his head low so that he, he could go unnoticed. Well, after walking around for about two hours, completely unnoticed, he and his son went to a section of the Hockey Hall of Fame where they have this interactive game where you get to shoot targets at a net. They go over there, and Gretzky's young son is excited. He's like, hey, Dad, can I try it? like, sure, son, go ahead and try it. So his son gets out there, and guess what? He did pretty well. He hit four out of the five targets. And excited, his son says, Dad, Dad, why don't you try? He's like, uh, I'm like, yeah, 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 Dad, why don't you try? He's like, okay. So Wayne Gretzky gets out there to do this interactive game where he's going to hit the targets. And when he gets out there, guess how he did? He missed the first three shots he took. <laughs> After the third miss, the young guy who was in charge of the line, he goes up to Wayne Gretzky. He gets really close to him and says, you know, sir, if you put your hand a little bit further down the stick. <laughs> he was giving him advice. You know what Gretzky did? With a smile on his face, he lifted up his hat and pointing to the display that featured his 894 goals, he says, could you get me one of those pucks? There's 894 of them there. And immediately the young man's eyes got really big. He couldn't believe it. Meanwhile, his son couldn't help but laugh out loud. Can you imagine giving shooting advice to the greatest hockey player of all time? But you know what? The truth is, even the great ones miss the mark sometimes, don't they? Yet you don't have to answer out loud, 
But this morning I want to begin with this question, and that is, I want you to think for a moment, what do you think about Jesus? And, and, I'm, and I'm asking this question in all seriousness. What do you think? What do you, better stated, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is good? Here's another question. What do you think about Jesus' counsel and instruction? Do you think that Jesus, that his counsel is useful? But, you know, like Gretzky, sometimes he misses the mark. That is, he, he, he can be just a little bit off at times. Or do you believe that Jesus has the words of life? That his counsel is perfect? It's fitting. And most importantly, it's what you actually need. What, what do you think about Jesus? Faith, I ask that because in our text this morning, Jesus has some words for you. Jesus has some words for me. Indeed, as we're about to see, Jesus has words for anyone who can hear. And I want to suggest that these words of Christ are the very words you need right now in all your relationships, be it in your marriage or with your siblings, with your co-workers in your neighborhood. But friend, before we even crack open our Bibles, I need to press you on this question and ask, who is Jesus? Is he good, but sometimes misguided? Is he, is he generally helpful, but occasionally misses the mark? Or is he who he claims to be, the very Son of God? Is he the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord and creator of all things? Is he, as Scripture testifies, the all-knowing, all-powerful, and please hear me, all-wise Son of God? Because if he is, which I think many of you, you believe he is, as do I, then we ought to listen to his words very carefully. Indeed, we ought to not just listen to them very carefully, but we ought to be diligent in applying them and obeying them rather than making mistakes, or making excuses, rather. So what, word, what words do the Son of God have for you and for me, especially when it comes to relationships? 
Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. That's page 862 in that paperback Bible. And as you're turning there, let me give you the context. In, in Luke 6, we find the Lord Jesus Christ healing the sick. And as you can imagine, this drew a great crowd around him as he's healing those with infirmities and sicknesses. Well, with this very large crowd around him, Jesus does something. Jesus pivots from healing and he begins to teach. He begins to instruct all those around him. And I want you to notice what he says. We're going to pick things up there in verse 27. And hear now the word of the Lord. And again, as we're reading this, I would invite you to consider what do you believe about Jesus? Is he wise? Is he good? Does he know what's best for you and your relationships? Because here are the words that he has to everyone who can hear. Notice what he says there in verse 27. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Amen and amen. This is God's good word. I once heard of a biblical counselor who had a man come to him who wanted to divorce his wife. When asked his reason why he wanted to divorce his wife, the man said, look, my, my wife wasn't unfaithful, she hadn't left me or anything like that, but I, I just don't love her anymore. And the counsel looked at him and said, well, the Bible says husbands 
love your wives. You, you, you don't have an option. This is the command of the Almighty God. You, you have to start loving your wife. The man responds, you don't get it. I don't even want to be around her. I don't want even to live in the same house as her. At this point, the counselor said, well, I tell you what, why don't you do this? Why don't you have a trial separation and you move next door for a few weeks? The man asked, move next door for a few weeks? What will that do? Well, the counselor responded, well, then she'll be your next door neighbor and the Bible commands you to love your neighbor. The man was getting exasperated with the counselor. He said, no, 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 man, you still, you're not listening to me. It's not that I don't want to be near her in proximity. He said, I can't even stand the sight of her. I have nothing but enmity in my heart towards her. Oh, the counselor said, so she's your enemy. Yes, the man exclaimed. Well, the counselor said, the Bible says, love your enemies. The man went to a different counselor the next week. <laughs> but you know what? He shouldn't have. You know why? Because according to the passage I just read, that counselor's exhortation was not off the mark, was it? For as Jesus makes abundantly clear to those who can hear, what does he say? He says, Love your enemies. Love your enemies. This, I want to suggest to you, is the main point of this entire section, verses 27 through 36. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Whether that be your spouse, your sister, your brother, your parents, your neighbor, your children, your co-worker, your employee, to those who can hear, Jesus says, love. Love those who hate you. Now, I want us just to pause and absorb this for a moment. My guess is, I guess, someone is coming to your mind right now. Someone who you don't like. Someone who maybe rubs you the wrong way or who makes your life difficult. Maybe someone who mistreats you. Is there someone coming to your mind right now? Maybe it's your spouse. Or maybe it's a sibling. Perhaps it could be a neighbor or a coworker. Whoever it is that curses you, mistreats you, does wrong to you, whoever it is that, that might do these things, Jesus says, that person in your mind, you love them. This is Jesus' good life-giving counsel to you. Indeed, look at what Jesus says there at, at, in verse 28. 
He says, bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who abuse me? Do good and love the person who abuses me? Surely Jesus can't mean that, right? He's like Gretzky right now. He's missing, isn't he? Faith, when Jesus spoke these words, let me ask you, do you think Jesus, the Son of God, do you think he was ignorant of the many hurtful ways a husband could sin against his wife? Do you think he was unaware of the many painful ways a wife could sin against her husband? Did, Faith, do you think, when Jesus spoke these words, do you think Jesus was naive to the terrible abuses and curses that human beings can inflict on each other? Is Jesus in the dark? Let me drill down a little bit further. Do you think Jesus is unaware and naive about what you're going through? Do you think he doesn't know the way your spouse has sinned against you? Do you think, kids, do you think he doesn't know the way your siblings have taken advantage of you? Jesus is not naive. Jesus is not clueless. Jesus is not aware of the atrocities and the hardships and the ways that people have sinned against you. As the all-knowing Son of God, He is completely aware and knows all these things. And His good word for you and for me is to love those people. Love your enemies, Jesus says, knowing full well how terrible your enemies are. So here's the million dollar question, how? How can you and I do what Jesus counsels us, yea, instructs us to do? I mean, this seems impossible, does it not? Amen, somebody? Seems impossible to me. Well, what I appreciate about this text, and it should not surprise us, Jesus being the master communicator, is that as we look closely at what he is communicating, Jesus actually shows us how we can do what he calls us to do. You see, if we're actually going to love our enemies, then there are four actions I want to suggest that we must take. Four changes in our life. And the first is this. If we are going to love our enemies, then we first need to change our response to mistreatment. Look at what Jesus says there in verses 27 through 31. He is, he is concerned. Now, let me just say this before I get further. Jesus is focusing on our response to mistreatment and being sinned against by our enemies. That's his focus. 
Does the Bible have words for those who habitually sin and harm others? Yes. Yes. But that's not what he's talking about here. Scripture does speak to those who are sinful in their behavior and their hurt of others. But what Jesus focuses on is those of us who have enemies who are being hurt. How should we respond? And notice what he says. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. We first need to change our response to mistreatment. Uh, one night when I was about six years old, my brother Dave and I, who was, who was five at the time, we were, we were getting ready for bed. And while we were getting in our PJs, uh, I was playing with, with my favorite little toy car. Well, once Dave uh, got on his PJs, he, he came over to me, he saw my car, he pushed me down, he took my car, and he started playing with it right in front of me. Here I was, my happy little joyful self, my, my sweet little six-year-old face, minding my own business, when my brother Dave comes along and just assaults me, pushes me down, grabs a car, and then he has the gall to play with it right in front of me. Do you know what I did? I kicked him. I kicked him as hard as I could. But when I kicked him, I hit him right below the kneecap in the shin, and I broke my toe. <laughs> he didn't feel the thing. I was lying on the ground, writhing in pain. You know, uh, thank you for laughing at my pain. I can laugh about it now. <laughs> But I tell you what, I was not laughing at it in the moment. But you know what, as I reflect upon that now, I can see that the Lord was trying to teach me something. And you know what the Lord was trying to teach me? What Jesus just articulated in this text. He was saying, Aaron, you need to change the way you respond when people mistreat you. Because let's just be honest, our default response to mistreatment is to fight or kick back, is it not? Yet, is that what Jesus calls us to do? Kids, the older kids, when your sibling pushes you and takes a car, does Jesus call you to kick them in the shin? Is that what Jesus is saying? No. He wants us to love in response. And as I said, this is Jesus' concern. His concern is how we would respond. And notice there, in verses 29 through 31, Jesus gives three examples of mistreatment. And we could, we could categorize the mistreatments in this way. 
the slap, the shirt, and the stuff. And I'll, but I alliterate it for you. You're welcome. So the slap, the shirt, and the stuff. In each situation, Jesus instructs us on how to respond. So first there's the slap there in verse 29. As the parallel account in Matthew 5.39 makes clear, when Jesus instructs us to turn the other's cheek when struck, he's referring to not a punch, but to a slap with the back of the hand. This was the, the common and prevalent way to insult someone at this time. This is to say, Jesus is not talking about physical assault. He's talking about being insulted. This is why this command should not be interpreted as saying as you should not engage in self-defense to protect yourself from injury or death. For example, when Jesus and Paul were both struck on the face, John 18 and Acts 23, they did not violate this command when they defended themselves and asserted that they had been struck without cause. No, Jesus here is talking about, with this slap, about being insulted. And hear carefully what Jesus says. He says, when insulted, instead of hurling an insult in return, instead of defending yourself even, he says, turn the other cheek. Let the person continue to insult you. For as the Apostle Peter states in 1 Peter 2, this is what you've been called to do. Listen to what Peter writes. He says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you what? What does it say? Leaving you an example so that you would follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And here it is. When he was reviled, he did not what? Revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christian, this is how you are to respond. We are to follow the pattern given by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just drill down here for a moment. Husbands, husband, when was the last time you were insulted? Wife, when was the last time you were reviled? Kids, when was the last time someone hurt you with their words? We are not to sin in response. Rather, we are to entrust ourselves to God, knowing that He judges justly and that vengeance is His. Thank you, somebody. I think that might be a fan of some kind. Oh, the suspense. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> so we're going to trust the Lord. And hopefully this won't happen again, but if it does, I know you'll stay with me. So we're not to sin in response, 
but to entrust ourselves to God, knowing that He judges justly, and that, please hear me, vengeance is His. Indeed, we must have the same disposition in the heart concerning our shirt or cloak. Look again there what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, And if one, and from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. According to Exodus 22, you could give your cloak as a pledge for a loan, as collateral, but only temporarily. The cloak had to be returned to you by the evening so you wouldn't be cold. You notice what Jesus says. He says, if that happens, if you, if you give your cloak out like that, don't demand they return it. But instead, give your tunic as well. The sisters say, don't, don't demand your rights, but be generous. Likewise, Jesus says there in verse 30, we are to give to those who ask for assistance, expecting nothing in return. Now, as some of you know, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul commands Christians not to feed those unwilling to work. This is in the Bible. Paul says not to feed those who are unwilling to work. So we know that Jesus' words here in verse 30 should not be interpreted to support a giving that lacks discernment. Rather, the intent is we are to give generously with no strings attached. Indeed, Jesus sums it all up for us in verse 31 when he says, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Let's, let's again, let's just think about it in the, in the context of relationships. How would you like others to do to you, to treat you? What would you like? Can I offer some suggestions? You know what you would probably like? You'd probably like people to be gracious with you. You'd like people to give you the benefit of the doubt. You would like people to give you grace and time to grow. You'd like others to be patient with you. You would probably like others to be kind to you. You know what you probably wouldn't like? People treating you mean and exacting. Yet often that's how we can be with others, is it not? Right? We, we apply the law to them, demanding that they meet our standard, especially if they've mistreated us. Here's my standard, here's my law. We, we demand perfection from them, all the while we demand that they give us all the grace and time in the world and the benefit of the doubt. Yet, Christian, if we are going to love our enemies, then we must change our response to mistreatment. We're to do good to those who mistreat us. But then second, to love your enemies, you also need to change your definition of love. Look at verses 32 to 35. And notice the, the repeated emphasis of Jesus. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? 
For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You need to, we need to change our definition of love. Uh, today is the Super Bowl. Tuesday is Valentine's Day. But do you know what tomorrow is? Besides being my brother's birthday. That's not where I'm going with this, though. It's his birthday. Today's the Super Bowl. Tuesday's Valentine's Day. But do you know what tomorrow is? For many Americans, it's the saddest day of the entire year. Do you know why? Because there's no more football. <laughs> football will be over and we'll have to wait another seven months. But in all seriousness, no. There's another reason, reason why not just February 13th, but indeed the entire month of February is sad for so many people. You know why that is? It's because February is the month when the most divorces are filed. Did you know this? A recent study found that February is the busiest month of the year for divorce filings, up 18% from the average month. Not only that, referrals for a divorce lawyer increases 38%, with the biggest spike being the day after Valentine's Day. And these numbers include Christians. You see, the sad reality is many Christians get divorced for unbiblical reasons. And I'm convinced that this is because many Christians fail to understand what it means to love someone according to Jesus. Or worse, they do understand, but just choose not to obey. Notice what Jesus says in these verses. He says, if you love those who just love you, what benefit is that to you? He says, for even sinners do that. Please hear me. Pagans, Jesus says, only love those who love them. Pagans only do good to those who do good to them. Pagans only lend to those who give back. And friend, if this is how you love, if this is how you interact with those closest to you, if this is how you treat your relationships, if you only love those who will love you back, you have a pagan love. Or better stated as Jesus, you're no better than a pagan. I mean, if you say to your spouse, hey, 
If you love me in the way I want to be loved, on my terms, on my conditions, if, if you fill up my love cup the way I want, if you do these things, then I'll love you in return. You have a pagan love. That's how sinners love. Instead, what does Jesus say there in verse 35? How should we love? What is Christ's definition of love? He says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. You know what this means, faith? Again, what do you think about Jesus? Does Jesus, is he missing the mark here again? Is he missing those targets? If we're taking Jesus at his word seriously, what this means, friend, is contrary to what you might find in a Christian bookstore. This means you don't have to have your love cup full before you can love others. No, you're actually empowered by God to deny yourself and love others and to lend, expect nothing in return. You see, faith, th this is why it's right to say marriage is a hundred zero. Biblically speaking, marriage is not 50-50. Nor is marriage 100-100. No, marriage is 100 Zero. You are commanded by Jesus to love your spouse regardless of whether they love you in return. You know why? Because to love any other way is pagan. Now, if your spouse does love you in return, thumbs up for you. But Jesus is saying, yea, he is commanding that you love expecting nothing in return. And I would suggest most couples do not go into marriage this way. No one enters marriage like this. I'm going to marry this person and I'm going to expect nothing in return. And if I get nothing in return, I'm going to still love them anyway. Because to love the other way, to, to expect something in return, that's what the sinners do. Jesus calls me to love them this way. No one goes into marriage thinking this. Most, if not all, enter marriage thinking, I'm getting married because my spouse is going to fill up my love cup, make me feel good about myself, and yay, maybe even fulfill all my dreams. And when the moment comes, and it always does, when my spouse doesn't fill my love cup, when they don't fulfill my dreams, when they actually mistreat me, and they actually hurt me, I want I can't stand her. I can't stand him. Where's the eject button? And again, I'm convinced the reason why so many Christian couples have unbiblical divorce is because they have a pagan definition of love. I, I'm scratching your back all the time, but you're not scratching mine. I'm unsatisfied. I'm not happy. 
Jesus says, instead of giving to get, you are to give and expect nothing in return. Faith, what if you made it your aim to love like this? What if you chose to love your spouse in this way? What if you chose to love your children in this way? Kids, can I have your eyes for a second? All the kids here. What if you chose to love your siblings this way? That you love your brother, you love your sister, no matter how they treat you. Maybe they always get the front seat and you never do. Maybe they always fill their bowl to the top of the best cereal in the house so you don't get any. Maybe they always take the remote control and watch Blue's Clues, whatever show they want to watch. Maybe they don't... Maybe they take away from your computer time. Maybe they take away from your... What if you chose to love them and expect nothing in return? You know what would happen? You'd honor your Savior. And you know what else? Please hear me, because this is what Jesus emphasized. And you know what else? You'd also get a reward. For notice what Jesus says there in verse 35. He says, if you love in this way, your reward will be what? Great. Not small. It's not tiny. It's not a little reward you just put on a shelf that can't be noticed. He says, no, your reward will be what? Great. As as many commentators have pointed out, that word translated benefit in verse 32 and 33 and then credit in verse 34, it's, it's all the same Greek word. Charis. It's the Greek word for grace. It's literally grace. So Jesus is saying, if you love like sinners, what grace is that to you? If you lend to, to others and expect what grace is that to you? What benefit? What grace is that to you? And the answer is none. And notice how often Jesus repeats this. I don't think he's stuttering. I think he's repeating it for emphasis. He says, but if you love like this, if you love your enemy, you'll get a grace reward. And what is that grace reward? I take it that the grace reward, it's a greater capacity for you to enjoy Christ. The reward that comes to the Christian is your capacity and ability to know and enjoy and to savor and to delight in Jesus Christ will increase. Because you see, if all you do is love those who are lovely, then you'll never appreciate Christ who loved you when you were His enemy. If you only love those who do good to you, then you'll never appreciate Christ who is kind to you when you were rebellious towards Him. But if you love an enemy, and I would suggest start with the ones in your home, you now have a category to appreciate how much Christ has loved you. And in so doing, your joy and satisfaction and affections for Jesus Christ will increase. Christian, do you want that? Do you want that? I do. 
then love your enemies. And as Jesus means there at the end, and prove that you are the sons of the Most High. But then third, to love your enemies, you also need to change your view of yourself. Look there at the end of verse 35. He says, And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the beautiful and well-behaved. Is that what he says? He says, For He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Uh, uh, recently, I just came across a study that answered this question, and here's the question. When it comes to watching a movie or reading a book, who do you think most people identify with in the story? The protagonist? The hero. When people are watching a movie or watching a show, I mean, is this not why when a new Avengers movie comes out, people buy Spider-Man suits, Iron Man costumes. We, we identify with the hero. We never, rarely, if ever, identify with the bad guys, right? Notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 35. You know what he's saying? In the overarching scripture story of Scripture, we're the bad guys. We are the ones who are ungrateful and evil. In our natural state, we all come into this world, please hear me, as enemies of God. This is, please, please hear me, friend. This is so important. We don't become saved by loving our enemies. No, we are saved because we were God's enemies and He loved us. Amen? This is what makes the message of the Bible such good news. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 5. He says, But God shows His love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Notice, as sinners, we are enemies of God. Yet Christ died for us to save us from the wrath of God. You see, friend, our sin earns us something. It earns us judgment and wrath. We need to be saved by God, from God. That is, we need to be saved from God's wrath for our sin through God's Son who died in our place. And this salvation, oh, this is such good news, and this salvation is received simply by faith, amen? Friend, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you from the wrath of God for your sin? If not, let today be the day of salvation for you. And Christian, do you really believe this? Have you truly contemplated and embraced that outside of Christ, you were God's enemy? Because it's only when we view ourselves correctly 
enemies of God who were loved by God that we in turn can love our enemies. Which leads to the fourth change and that is your motivation for obedience. Look at verse 36. Notice how Jesus kind of ties it up here. He says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Faith, your heavenly Father has been merciful to you. He loved you when you were his enemy. He sent his Son to die on the cross when you were deserving of his wrath. And he gave you grace when you were owed death. And to close, as we bring this in for a landing, friend, when you allow this truth to work deep into your heart, you know what will bear fruit? A love that expects nothing in return. A love that is content to have a marriage be a hundred zero. Because that is what God has called you to do and He has shown you great, great mercy. You see, this is how a wife can love a man who repeatedly sins against her. This is how a husband can love a wife who repeatedly sins against him. Children, this is how a child can love a sibling who repeatedly sins against him or her. Faith, we can love the unlovely for that is precisely what God has done for us. Amen? You know, as great as Wayne Gretzky is, he still misses the mark sometimes. Yet Jesus Christ never does. His words for us are good and right. May we be found faithful to obey them. Let's pray.